0: stand today's scripture comes from the book of James chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations greetings trials and temptations because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose us to give birth through the first word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: What a privilege it is to be here at Faith Westwood. Greetings to you who are gathered here together, and those who are gathered online today. And yes, I'm in my 20th year of pastoral ministry as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it is um, what a privilege to be here. I began my journey as a student pastor at Stanton and Pilger United Methodist Churches, and that student pastor appointed uh, appointment lasted eight years. And then we moved 21 miles to the southwest where I served Trinity Madison and Norfolk Westridge United Methodist Churches. And then after four years, we moved 35 miles to the south in Columbus where I have served for the past nine years. And I want to tell you that I bring you greetings from Columbus First United Methodist. Twenty years ago, Faith Westwood and Pastor Doug Ferguson offered a training on the Alpha course. How many of you remember that? And Doug and Ann Callison and other folks from First Church Columbus attended and they started offering the Alpha course. The church just celebrated 20 years of offering Alpha with so many lives transformed. So thank you. Now today we begin a new journey together to remember our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we come together to fulfill God's vision for this place. As we get acquainted, then we're going to dive into this and that. It's our summer sermon series on the early Christian letter of James. Together, we're going to claim the encouragement and hope that that James offers that is just as important as when those words were first written. I would invite you to open up your Bibles as we're going to look at the first 18 verses of the letter. And I want us today to consider the ways that we can persevere, be humble, and even choose joy. And along the way, you're probably going to hear a little this and that about my journey, too. Would you please join me in prayer? Almighty God, open our ears that we may hear your word. Open our eyes that we may see your glory in our midst, and open our hearts that we might know your Spirit's presence with us in these moments. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, wrote his letter to bring greetings to the early Christians who needed support, encouragement, and hope. And his desire was for those early Christians to mature and to grow in their faith. Biblical scholars agree that the leader of James, James is the brother of Jesus. He was a leader of that church in Jerusalem. And so James experienced the teachings of Jesus and he was fully aware of those challenges that the early church faced. Now on one hand, Martin Luther dismissed the letter of James as an epistle of straw. Yep, he said that. And on the other hand, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said that James was central for Christian faith and life. Obviously, I'm led by Wesley's opinion and perspective. The primary themes of the letter of James include testing, prayer, humility, one's status before God and the world, and the importance of putting one's faith into action. You might notice that from time to time the style of James is written a lot like that of the Proverbs than any of the other New Testament books or letters. Now one theory is that James could actually be a collection of short sermons on different topics for the Christians that were living in the Roman world. So James is not so concerned with the matters of Christian doctrine. He left all of that to Paul and Paul covered it well. But James is concerned about living out the Christian faith day after day. And so we come to that first section today of the passage. James focuses on the theme of trials and temptations. And James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I don't know about you, but pure joy is not something that we typically equate with trials and temptations, is it? Nor do we feel that the testing of our faith produces anything but irritation. Now, we know that those in the early church experienced far more persecution for their faith than we could possibly ever imagine. Remember, James was encouraging the newbies in the faith in Christ. As Jewish Christians, they had all of their traditions and rituals in their former faith, and they were learning and growing as believers and followers of Jesus every single day. At some levels, they were experiencing a religious and a spiritual identity crisis. And they also had to face social, economic, and political pressures and challenges. Now, those who were in the early church could say, but we've never done it this and that way before. Too soon, Faith Westwood? (laughs) Now, honestly, all these Christians had was their faith in Jesus Christ. That's all they had was their faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus suffered and died on their behalf, that his resurrection set them free. They were free to believe and to trust in all of God's promises. They were free to openly profess their faith. And they were also free to suffer because of it. So the response of of James is encouragement to claim joy in the midst of despair. The joy that only a faith in Christ can produce. And then he reminded them to do what? To persevere. Even though doing church and being the church in the first century seemed impossible most days, those Christians were to stand firm in their faith and to move forward each day. Now think about some of the trials and challenges that you and those around you are facing right now. Health issues and concerns, those things that are spoken and unspoken. Cancer diagnoses and treatments requiring courage and hope. Family life transitions and relationship issues that hit people to their core and threaten to unravel them. Job challenges and changes to make one question value and worth. Conversations about the church and the future since the pandemic and since disaffiliations from the UMC. Inviting Christians to ask important questions and to pray. Some of you are facing one of those things. Some of you are facing several of those things. And let's admit and be vulnerable and admit that some of you are facing every single one of those things right now. Whether we like it or not, we live in stress and distress. And yet we are not alone. Our faith in, in God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit can help us to persevere. And as we know that by experience, there is just something about persevering through our challenges that does help us to learn and to grow. In modern language, James might say it like this Don't panic. Don't overreact. Don't turn a problem into a crisis. Just be patient, just persevere. In James's own language, he says that we actually need to allow perseverance to finish its work in us so that we can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Lord have mercy. Seriously, James? <laughs> How many of you here believe that you are not lacking anything and that you certainly do not need any more trials to prove it? <laughs> now, story time. In my second year of pastoral ministry in June of 2004, I was in a rollover car accident on a minimum maintenance road on the way to annual conference. The book of discipline literally split my head open. Literally. And I had glass embedded here. For all practical purposes, I should have died in that accident. But I didn't. And there's more to that story for another time but I have to tell you that that accent changed me and I decided to live more purposefully. On the Sunday after that accident, I shared with the congregation that I would preach every Sunday like it was my very last Sunday and sermon if they listened like it was their very last Sunday and sermon. To remember that every single day that we have been given is a gift from God, a day to listen to Christ to live like Christ, and to glorify Christ, amen? Amen. Now, because I survived that accident, I experienced some of the most rewarding opportunities in ministry. And they all happened that summer. One week after the accident, a 65-year-old gentleman in one of my churches asked the question, how do I know if I'm a Christian? He began a journey that led him to ask Christ into his heart, and to profess his, his faith in front of the church family and friends. Two weeks later, I was leading frog camp at Camp Fontenelle. Seventeen students made a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ. And you know what this morning I found out? I was wondering if there was a student from Faith Westwood who was there, and I found out that most likely there was. My accident, that I considered a trial, gave me new eyes and it gave me a new passion for ministry. And it also gave me some much needed wisdom in my life. Now James wrote that if you lack wisdom, you should ask God for it. Of course, we know that we have to be careful what we pray for because we just might get it, right? I know that I have to ask God for wisdom each day, to choose my words carefully so I don't stumble over them, to say what needs to be said in messages, in conversations, and even on Facebook posts. You and I need to face days filled with trials and challenges and especially temptations. Now, regarding asking God for wisdom, James emphasizes that God gives generously. And so when you ask God for something like wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. James doesn't hesitate to be blunt, does he? He says that the one who doubts is like the one who's tossed about like a wave on the sea. Furthermore, one who doubts shouldn't expect to get anything from the Lord. Yikes. Again, James is very blunt, but he doesn't want these believers to be filled with doubts and fears about their faith, leading them to be double-minded and unstable. And that leads James into a conversation about humility. (laughs) Certainly, the experiences of the early church humbled those Christians living in and around Jerusalem. Just like the crowds who first heard the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, one's status in the world wasn't what was important for the kingdom of God. For one, to be in humble circumstances was considered a high position. Those who were rich would be brought low. Why? Because riches and wealth are fleeting. James uses the example of the flower in the field that withers and falls. This is an echo of Isaiah 40, verses 7 through 8. The grass grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Isaiah wanted God's people to trust in the word of God versus the snares of the world. And James wants the same for the believers in Christ. And he had in mind two particular snares. The first one was wealth. And the second one was the actual snare of temptation. James knew that these snares could negatively influence individuals and the early church. Now, friends, we all like our stuff, don't we? (laughs) We like our stuff. We've worked hard for our stuff, right? Our collections of items that are special and important to us. And yet at the end of our lives, we cannot take one thing with us when we go. James wanted Christians to embrace what is going to last into eternity. God's word and faith in Christ. And then James brings it back to temptations. James says that when tempted, believers should not say, God is tempting me. Wow, this bad theology has been floating around for a long time, hasn't it? It was happening in those early Christian conversations, and we admit that from time to time we are tempted to say that God is tempting us. But how many times a day do you think that those early Christian believers were tempted to give up and to walk away because it was hard? The culture around them was mocking them and persecuting them every single day. Many of them had to live out their faith in hiding, not because they were ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but because they were afraid of being put to death. How many of you experienced that this morning on the way to church? The early Christians had to accept that God was allowing them to be tempted, and if they persevered, if they persevered, they would serve as a powerful witness for Jesus Christ in that time and in that place. We, too, have to admit that God allows us to be tempted. Daily, we are tempted like with foods like Chocolate and barbecue potato chips. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, sometimes we're, we're tempted to hang on to something too tightly. Right? You know what I'm talking about? We're tempted to say and do things that we know we ought not to say or do. And James reminds us that these temptations lead us to sin. And sin leads us to death. So when we are tempted, where are we turning? Are we relying on our own strength to get through those temptations? Or are we relying on our own faith to help us? Or are we relying on the faith that Christ gives us? Let's admit right now that each of us has a two-year-old inside of us that says, me do by myself. (laughs) It's true. We think that we can face trials and temptations by our own strength and power. And then when we fail to do so, we feel miserable. And what do we feel like? We feel like giving up. Yet, if we rely on God's strength, Christ's redeeming power and the Spirit's presence, we can persevere. Let's put this into perspective from Max Lucado in Shaped by God. I didn't know this, but when a potter bakes a pot, he checks to see if it is complete by pulling it out of the oven and thumping it. If it sings, it's ready. (laughs) But if it thuds, it goes back into the oven. This is a great illustration for us, isn't it? Has life thumped you lately with trials and temptations? Now, thumps are literally those things that bring out the worst in us. They catch us off guard. Things like longer than expected lines, traffic jams on Millard Avenue, (laughs) and fender benders, which I have not experienced. These are just a few of the things that, that thump us. And then these these thumps tempt us into being less than our best for God and for the people around us. So do we sing when we get thumped? Or do we thud? <laughs> the truth is that these thumps really show our true character. And so we need to heed the wisdom from above so that we can Always be the Christians that Jesus has called us to be. Now James concludes part of our passage with a reminder that Christians should not be deceived because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. From above we get the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, And we are the first fruits of all that God created. Isn't that beautiful? We are the first fruits. This reminded those Christians that they were special. They were the first to hear the gospel message, to live it out, and to share it. Several weeks ago, I joined your online crowd for worship, Outsider View. And I was watching, and I was listening. And I paid very close attention to Steve's message as he shared why this church is special, unique, and important. Do you remember that sermon? Y'all should have been sitting up a lot taller after that message. He shared things that made me really get excited about being a part of your next chapter as a lead pastor here. So I want to share with you what I know about Faith Westwood thus far. You believe strongly in the biblical witness. Amen? You are guided by God's word. You believe and trust that God's word speaks to us today. You know what it means to live out the greatest commandment, to love God and to love neighbor. You also believe in the social gospel. The social gospel is lived out through your food pantry that addresses food insecurity. You heard about that earlier from Alan. And it's lived out through mission trips like the one that your youth just got back from. You support another congregation. You do so much that makes a difference for Jesus. You believe that you have a mission and a vision for this city. You believe in being a blessed friend. Bringing others to know the grace and love of Jesus Christ. The Love and Learn Christian childcare and Preschool has excellent reviews online, by the way. It describes this safe place for the young at heart to learn and to grow. And what I'm most excited about is what you value. You value being relational, practical, generational, missional, and invitational. I get chills when I read this. And I get so excited when I read these words out loud. I cannot wait to learn more about how you celebrate and live out these values through your worship, through your small groups, your children's ministry, your student ministry, your care ministry, your prayer ministry, and so much more. And what else do I know about Faith Westwood? The bishop and the cabinet discerned that I should be your next lead pastor. I have to tell you that when the district superintendent called on March 7th about 10.30 in the morning I knew which church he was going to ask me to serve it was a spirit thing but the call to move came about one year earlier than we expected and so I had to wrestle with the decision I wrestled with whether or not my ministry was complete in Columbus I wrestled with my own insecurities. I never imagined living and serving in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm just a small-town girl. But by the way, don't ever tell Jesus where you think you don't want to live. (laughs) I take my covenant with the United Methodist Church and with Jesus seriously, and so Clint and I prayed. I visited with trusted colleagues about, about the phone call that I received as well as the call from Jesus to serve here. And I can tell you, some of you already know this, I'm a control freak. And I had to let go of control. It was hard. I had to le- allow the spirit to calm, calm me and my own spirit. But I will tell you that there was something that was amazing, that when I said yes, when I said yes, I felt a peace like nothing I have ever experienced before, the peace, the true peace that passes all understanding. Little did I know that I was going to have to keep letting go. The letting go part was also on a Monday morning when my husband was in Fremont, at the church, and he said, hey, I'm gonna go into Omaha and I'm gonna look at houses. And I said, without me? <laughs> and he said, yes, and I said, fine. <laughs> and I told him that the only real stipulation I had was that our house was in the mission field that I, was be- that I would be serving, so somewhere in Millard. Clint and our realtor actually found our new house on that Monday. March 20th, found our Omaha home, our Omaha home is what I call it. <laughs> our offer was accepted that day. We prepared our Columbus home to go on the market, thanks be to God for our youth in our church, in that church. And we were under contract on March 30th. Jesus moves fast. And some of you know that um, we actually moved on May 1st, and I commuted for six weeks. Those extra weeks in Omaha allowed me to get to know my my neighborhood, to experience that Big O is a lot smaller than I thought, (laughs) and to see the kinds of connections that only God can provide. For example, I was officiating a memorial service for someone in Columbus, And a gentleman came up to me at the luncheon and he said, You are Cindy Stewart. And I said, Yes, I am. And he said, I am a United Methodist and I go to St. Andrews. He said, We prayed for you and the news that you were coming to Omaha. He said, I didn't know who you were, but he said, When I saw your name on the service folder at the memorial service, he said, I made the connection. He said, Welcome to Omaha. And then he rattled off all of the people that he knows at Faith Westwood. (laughs) Again, I have to say that it is such a privilege to be here in this place to join you in mission and ministry. Certainly, you and I need wisdom to discern what God is calling us to do next. You and I need wisdom to discern who Jesus is calling us to serve from this place. You and I need wisdom to discern how the Spirit will lead us and guide us. Even today, Christians need so much biblical wisdom. These ancient words from the letter of James have been passed down from generation to generation because they bear much truth. You and I need encouragement, support, and most of all, hope. And you and I are called to remember that the way that we live our lives as believers and followers of Jesus Christ makes a difference. When life thumps us as individuals and as a church with trials and temptations and with this and that, are we going to choose to persevere, humble ourselves and claim joy? And is our faith going to thud where is our faith going to sing? In the name of Christ, amen.